Welcome to the Thinking Things Through podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Chung. In this podcast, I shall introduce my late teacher and friend, Lamin Sani. Lamin Sani was born into a Muslim family in the Gambia. He earned his PhD in Islamic history at the University of London's School of Oriental and African Studies. In his career, he taught history of Islam and Christianity at Aberdeen, Harvard, and Yale. I was introduced to Sunny by another historian at Princeton, the late Professor Andrew Walls, under whom I learned a great deal about the spread of Christianity to China around the same time that the faith reached England. After Dr. Wall's class on the history of Persian missions to Tang Dynasty China, he mentioned his friend Lamin Sani. Look him up, he said, and learn about Christianity in Africa from him. Now, this led me to seek a scholarship at Yale, and a year later, at the ripe old age of 40, I was in Sani's class on Islamic history in Africa in pursuit of a third master's degree. Now, in his highly stimulating courses, I learned about the Fulani Empire of West Africa, the Islamic Brotherhood of Egypt, and the rise of medieval Islamic Jihad during the Third Crusade when Saladin encountered Richard the Lionheart in Palestine. Sunni was my strongest influence to visit Africa in order to learn firsthand, boots on the ground, the many magnificent cultures of this continent. Not the great safaris of East and Southern Africa, but the more intensely spiritual West and Northern Africa, where Islam replaced Christianity almost entirely. I explored Islamic Africa from Morocco to Egypt and from the Sudan to Benin. His 1989 book, Translating the Message, was a seminal work that challenged the history of Christian missions. In it, Sani argued that the translation role of missionaries cast them as unwitting allies of mother tongue speakers and as reluctant opponents of colonial domination. This was during a time when the popular opinion criticized Western missionaries as Christian do-gooders who blindly followed imperialism and colonialism. Sane pointed out that unlike many other religions, Christianity welcomed the translation of its sacred books into local languages so that as many people as possible can read the Bible for themselves. Now, he stated that even the so-called original languages of Hebrew and Greek were in fact translations of God's revelation into ordinary human languages. God does not speak Hebrew or Greek. He wanted Africans to realize that Christian missionaries labored to preserve and teach many African languages to the halls of Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, and Yale. His own alma mater, London University's legendary School of Oriental and African Studies, ranked among the great institutions of learning. Sani traveled the world and observed the massive changes happening before his eyes as an African in America, but he was very much a complex product of British colonialism. Now, speaking of British colonialism, we had much in common. Like Sané, I grew up in the British Empire, so the English language and all things British came into my life very early on. Like him, I attended a Catholic mission school, La Salle PJ. Like him, I faced the complex issues of Islam and Christianity firsthand, growing up in a Methodist family in Muslim-majority Malaysia. We both had the incredible privilege of tertiary education in Great Britain. 
the land of our colonial masters. We both ended up in London, where we had our faith and intellect both tested and strengthened. We both became academics, he at an ivory tower of great repute, and me as a wandering independent investigator of interdisciplinary field research. Now, I mention all these not to suggest that I'm his peer, but only to say that our shared personal and spiritual histories brought me to appreciate the mind, manner, and measure of a gentleman scholar from the colonies. Finally, we both became grateful immigrants to America. For him, what makes America great is not what it takes from the world, but what America gives to others. I cannot agree more. During the last years of his life, we kept in touch mostly by email as I traveled extensively to many African countries in my quest to understand that amazing continent of many spiritual cultures. As a fellow Christian, Lamin retained a deep love for Muslims, a respect for Islamic cultures, and an awareness of the complex relationship between the two Abrahamic faiths. I adopted his love of Islamic history and respect for a religion not my own. Were there agreements and conflicts? Oh, yes. Always the gentle soul, Lamin taught me the importance of a historian's duty to suspend final judgment in order to investigate the past with moral courage and spiritual integrity. He welcomed my probing questions to some of his theses. In class, we traded gentle barbs of disagreement. He is an eminent classroom teacher of note, and me as an anonymous independent field explorer eager to learn from the master. And many times we tangled after class over the essence of Christianity, prompted me to rethink all I thought I knew about Islam in Africa. Now, in his book, Beyond Jihad, Forgotten World of Pacifist Islam, Lamin wrote of the non-violent moderate form of Islam, led by Islamic scholars who rejected the cruelty of the caliphate system. I had no idea that such pacifist Muslims thrived during the age of the caliphates. His cutting-edge research reshaped what the West thought of the Islamic world. Yet, we did not agree on everything. I was interested in how geohistorical contingencies shaped the propensities of one's faith of choice, precisely because, in most cases, there were no choices. Thus, where and when one was born makes a difference in what one believes about God. This remains true today. Children born into families of deep faith rarely have the opportunity to explore or assess or decide which God to believe in. I felt that Lamin did not address this glaring issue and told him so. We agreed to disagree. On another point of disagreement, he felt that following my PhD, I should join the ranks of a company of scholars, as he did, in order to optimize the institutional facilities open to faculty members. But I argued for complete academic freedom to investigate on an interdisciplinary level, with no political obstruction from institutions, no matter how prestigious. We agreed to disagree. Now, how did he shape my thoughts? Of the many things I learned from my teacher, perhaps the most important was the art of disagreement with grace. The nature of academic research on a subject as personal as religion is fraught with danger and the hazards multiply with the confluence of opposing faiths. Faith is fueled by confessions, a matter of the mind, supported by convictions, a matter of the heart. 
and kept steady by commitments, a matter of the will. Investigating the human commitment to convictional confessions, or what I call CCC, is to delve deep into a person's will, emotion, and mind. Studying religion is embarking on a dangerous journey. Now, when you research the history of science, art, music, or literature, the end result is universally verifiable. But when you research religion and matters of faith, almost nothing that matters can be easily verified. Belief cuts to the very core of human beings being human. Lamin's adopted faith included the doctrine of belief that determines an eternal torment for those outside the faith. And, like many of us who did not grow up in the Christian West, his loved ones who have passed on would be deemed to have entered eternal torment in hell. Now, how might someone in his situation, or mine for that matter, deal with such a delicate subject? His sudden death on January 6, 2019, from a stroke, came as a terrible shock to me. I was on my way to yet another African country, Ethiopia. I grieved this loss deeply because he died relatively young, at 76, and had so much more to give to the world. The best way to honour his memory is to continue to think things through, to learn, to write, and if necessary, to disagree with grace.